Amen. Thank you, Lord, and welcome to Easter 2019 here at the Vineyard. Wow, what an opportunity. I don't know if you happen to be here. Well, no, I know for a matter of fact, most of you were not here Friday night. We were, uh, no, we weren't taking names. Don't worry about that. You're all good. Um, just the size of the crowd, but it was amazing what the Lord was doing on Friday night, and it's already welling up in my heart what God is doing today right now and I am thankful for it so let's just come before the Lord in prayer before we enter into the word of God father we are before you right now thanking you what our Lord and Savior accomplished on our behalf God we can't imagine what it was like standing in that crowd on on what would have been Wednesday or Thursday night in all reality God and I certainly can't imagine the turmoil that was taking place with Jesus' disciples when the, the women came back and said that he is risen. None of it made sense, God, and I just ask and pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would be upon us, that you would overwhelm us, that you would show us what does this mean to us today, 2,000 years later, that we embrace our salvation, that we relish the relationship that we have with Jesus, a risen Lord, a God who wants to talk to us, who wants to interact with, uh, uh, with us, and who wants to lead us while we're here, because it's about your kingdom mission, God, even when we don't understand it. And so God, we do not want to live in fear, but fill us, Father, with a spirit of love, of power, and a sound mind. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So when we gather together and we talk about Easter and you were thinking about Easter, what word will you describe to describe Easter? What, what word for you says Easter? Um, for me, uh, it's daffodils, it's pastels, it's jelly beans. It's uh, the, the little pastel M&Ms with peanuts in them. It's smiles and pictures. It's uh, up from the grave he arose, if, if you're with me on that one. Are you there? Crack open the red hymnal, turn to number 431, and let's sing, Up from the Grave He Arose. Uh, that's, that, was, that was life from the time I surrendered my life to Jesus. It's crosses and graves and it's empty tombs. It's, uh, it's um, Easter cantatas and, and here lately it's somebody posting online their cantata when Jesus came out of the fiery tomb. And I don't know how they accomplished that, but it was amazing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to Google that one, okay, just for fun. Because worship leaders are amazing in the midst of even that. It's baskets for children it's having fun with family. It's sunrise services and things like that. But when you think about Easter, do you think about the word failure? Do you think about that? Do you think, yeah, failure? Woohoo! No, we don't. We don't think about that. And yet, if you put yourself in the place of what became the first Easter after a Passion Night years ago, you begin to say, whoa, what was that about? What was going on? When you think about Easter, do you think about, whoa, what happened? This isn't what I signed up for. Do you think about, whoa, they killed him, and I told you they were going to kill him before we came here. I told you this would happen. We don't talk about those stories that much. But I want to read with you out of the book of John. And I want to start on what we refer to as Friday afternoon, but once again, I was in my office this morning going over the dates and the times, and obviously there was a, a Sabbath and a special Sabbath going on. There was the Sabbath of Passover, and then there was the Sabbath of the day of the week, because we come into the preparation day when Jesus is getting arrested, and then it's not too long that we come into the preparation day again when um, Jesus is being hung. And so you've got to stop and say, wait a minute. And then if you want to stop and go, well, if he was in the grave for three days and you do the math, 
You can't be in the grave three days if you were crucified at three o'clock on Friday afternoon and you rose first thing in the morning on Sunday morning. It doesn't work. But it's okay. Just like with uh, Christmas, we say December 25th, and then I get up every December 25th and say, no, it's not. It's probably October 4th, but it's all good. We can do that. Or maybe it's March. I don't know. It's okay. We can celebrate it that way, and it's all right. You know what I'm talking about. So I want to read to you where Jesus is in this moment, and I want to talk about what's going on, and I want to talk about perspectives, and then I want to talk about your life. The scripture says in the book of John in chapter 19, beginning at verse 16, finally Pilate handed Jesus, him, over to them to be crucified, the soldiers. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests and the Jews protested to Pilate, and they said, Do not write that he's the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And you see Pilate getting a little saucy here. He's sick and tired of this and having to deal with it. And he says, What I have written, I have written. He's not backing down. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, the garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Now, now pay attention to what's going on now. We're three o'clock in the afternoon, and this is what we're up against here. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John writing the book of John, and we know that because he says that a couple of times in the book of John, that he's the one that Jesus loved. And he saw John standing there, the one he loved. He says, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And I share that with you just to give you a picture of what it is that's going on on Calvary, on Golgotha, on this hill, on this day. When the scripture says that this was a public place, it would be like unto staking Jesus out at the entrance to the Walmart next door over here. It's a place where a lot of people would travel back and forth and back and forth. And it was important to the Romans that when they crucified somebody, they did it in the most public manner possible. Because if you do that, it makes everybody else settle down for fear that that will happen to them as well. And so that's what was going on. So if you could imagine a crucifixion, a crucifixion taking place right there at the entrance to Walmart, and as people are driving by, they're looking, and, they're, and it creates a little bit of fear. It creates a little bit of trepidation. It creates an awareness that we are living in an occupied state, and the Romans are actually the ones that are in charge. And Jesus is crucified next to two people. Maybe you've seen um, this somewhere in your upbringing, that there was a thief on either side of him, and one of the thieves mocked Jesus, and the other thief challenged that thief and said, listen, we get what we deserve, but this man has done nothing to deserve this, and I'm astonished. How did that thief know that? How did he know that? And as Jesus is crucified, and we don't need to put up the pictures from the passion of the Christ, but you've got a feeling for what it looks like. Isaiah said he was beaten and bruised beyond the image of a, of a human being. 
He's dragging his cross through, and at one point another man picks it up and finishes out the journey for him. He's laid down. He's nailed on the cross. He lives a number of hours. He, he says it is finished. He gives up his spirit. They pierce his side to see if he's dead. Water comes out, and there's a whole lot of medical uh, understanding that goes into what took place on that. But this is the story. This is the story three and a half years after Jesus is running around telling people, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me. And immediately they got up and they left the tax table. Come, follow me. And they pushed the boats up on the shore and they left three and a half years into this. We're going to run the Romans out. We're going to take over the world three and a half years in. And they're standing at his feet looking up at the man that said, come, follow me. And he's beaten and he's bloody, and with all due respect, because this is how the Romans did it, he's bare naked. God bless the Catholics for putting a little loincloth on him and everything. I'm just speaking to my upbringing, but, but there it was. Humiliated and destroyed right there in front of everybody. And this is the picture. And let's be honest, it doesn't look like a real good plan at this point. It doesn't look like, hey, let's take over the world. Hey, let's run out the Romans. Hey, we're going to set up a new kingdom. Hey, Israel is finally going to receive the promise that God had given to Abraham. It's going to be awesome. There's people standing around looking up saying, what went wrong? There's a mother looking at her child, and you and I cannot imagine the circumstances of what that is. To be a father or a mother, we don't know where Joseph is, but to be standing there looking up at your son. 33 and a half years of age in this condition in front of everybody. And you wonder, wow, what happened? What went wrong? This is the failure of my plan for God. And the scripture will say that they hid in the upper room. When Friday comes crashing into your expectations and wrecks your belief system, that's the time to wait on God. Believe it or not. When the Friday comes crashing into your expectations, because everybody had an expectation of Jesus. Everybody had an expectation of what was going to happen. People approached him, had an expectation of healing. People that followed him had an expectation of positions of power in his organization. The one guy that we talked about Friday night had an expectation of being able to lift some money out of the money bag without anybody seeing it. And yet we know over and over and over again, that Jesus knew which one would betray him, to quote the scripture. Jesus knew which one it was that would betray him. When he was saying, one of you will betray me, and Judas said, Lord, is it me? In one account of the gospel, Jesus looks him square in the eye and says, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's you. And he let him know this is the deal. And so we cry out and we weep and we wail even for the loss of expectation, but I would encourage you, Friday night is not the time to give up. Not at all. Because what is going on is just a matter of perspective. Have you ever thought about that? People are standing at the foot of the cross and they're saying, wow, this did not go the way it was supposed to go. This is not how I expected it to happen. And yet when I think about this, and I'm thinking about it being a matter of perspective, to God, God is looking down going, wow, this is perfect. This is exactly the way we planned this thing. You never think about that, do you? That God is sitting on a throne looking down at his son, hanging on a cross, and he's saying, good job, Jesus. 
Good job. This is exactly the way it is supposed to go. Have you ever planned something out? Have you ever planned out a trip? Have you ever planned building a house? Have you ever have you ever just planned something and you get to the end of it and you think, wow, this was this was not the way I saw this thing unfolding in front of my face. I, I really saw this going a different direction. I don't know if this is a success or if this is a failure. But God is saying it could not have gone any better than it did. You see, because God had a plan from the beginning, and this was God's plan, and you and I can't conceive of God having a plan that would actually cost his son his life. Were we standing there? If we were not on Monday, we could not understand how that game got won on Sunday. But on Friday night, it looked like a complete loss. But Paul says to the church in Galatia, but when the set time had fully come, the set time. Do you know that there's set times? Do you know that there's a time when the trumpet is going to sound? There was a time when the world was created. There was a time when Abraham was called. There was a time that Moses was called. There were set times that God began to interact in our humanity. And Paul said to the church in Galatia, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. At just the right time when the world was getting out of control and sin was abounding and we weren't giving a lot of attention to God, God sent His Son to love us for God so loved the world. He didn't send His Son because He was mad at us. He didn't send His Son because He hated us. He didn't send His Son because He wanted to throw rocks at us. The Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he sent his son at the set time for the sole purpose of dying on the cross for Joe Wood. That if I was the only one in 2,000 years that read that story and understood that no matter where I was reading, like Friday night, I was the leper, I was the cripple. I was the woman with the issue of blood. I was the Roman soldier with the hammer in my hand. I was the thief on the cross mocking Jesus. When I plug myself into that story and I realize the truth of the Scripture and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And He would have done it only for me. It does get overwhelming. But there are times when we say, God, this looks like a failure. It looks like hell won. To God, it was perfect. But what about to Jesus' mama? What about to John standing right there next to Jesus' mama? What about Jesus' aunt? What about Mary Magdalene? What about people that thought, this is not what I signed up for? People following Jesus saw it as an utter failure in the moment. What about, Jesus, what about being fishers of men? What about that? Jesus, what about seeing angels ascending and descending from heaven? What about some more of that? What about the Romans that are still here, Jesus? What about that? What about your kingdom come, Lord? We're not seeing that. What about that? What about what do we do now? 
What about what do we do now? The story unfolds, and you know the story because we're on this side of it. You know that the women went to the, to the grave first thing on Sunday morning. This is the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. And so on the first day of the week, the women went down there and the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and the gardener was there and they spoke to him and they came running back and they said, hey, he is risen. He is risen just as he said. And then Peter and John, they go race into the tomb because they don't believe the women. They got to see it for themselves. And, and, uh, and John is ahead and the scripture says, and then Peter ran right past him and John stopped at the tomb because he didn't want to go in because he would be unclean. But Peter went straight in because he didn't care. He wanted to see it. And then they began to say, this was an utter failure. What happened? And then on Sunday morning, I don't think they were all singing up from the grave he arose. I think they were saying, what happened? Where's the body? And then Jesus shows up. Sunday morning, the tomb is empty. Sunday evening in John 20, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, and it will go on to say Jesus came in, but at the end of the day, they saw that the tomb was empty, and they begin with the same thought that they had on Friday night. What is going on? And then Jesus shows up. Doors locked. Doors locked for fear. The doors are locked. Because of fear. Fear has the door locked. When we talk about Easter, and we wonder what words describe Easter, Easter was a time of anxiety. Easter was a time of anxiety. The disciples left everything to follow Jesus. They even said, Jesus, what will we receive for following after you? What's going to be our reward? And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits in his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Look what he says. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And one gospel says um, that when he says this about houses and wives, it's in this life and in the life to come. It describes it both those ways. And so these guys, they saw following after Jesus as making an investment in their lives today. What's my return on my investment, Jesus? And he lays it out for him, and it's going to be a big thing. But it gets kind of confusing because he says the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. And I can imagine that the anxiety begins to rise up inside of them because everything that they thought that they were going to earn is hanging right there on that cross, and they're going to get nothing for this. Three and a half years of my whole life, I gave up fishing for this. I gave up being a tax collector to follow this. This program, this plan of God, looks like utter failure. What's going on? This, wait, this is the plan? Yeah. But anxiety says, what do I do now? What do I do now? I believe that Easter was a time of fear. And I think we see that because the disciples find themselves in the, the upper room again and the doors are locked because of fear. They saw that the tomb was empty. The women said that they saw Jesus. The, the disciples come back and say, it's just like the women said. The room, the room is locked and in comes Jesus. 
So even post-resurrection, the disciples are locked in the upper room and they're scared to death. They hid and they locked the door. As a matter of fact, in John 20, they locked the door. And a week later, in John uh, uh, excuse me, yeah, 2019 and 2026, a week later, the scripture says, again, they're in the upper room with the doors locked because of the Romans, and there they are again. Because if they'll attack Jesus for doing good, what will they do to us who maybe aren't so good, who haven't performed that many miracles? What about that? But I'm looking at this story, and I'm thinking that we're standing on Friday night, and we're looking at Sunday, and we're being told, hang on. But what happens when we show up on Sunday, the tomb's empty, we begin to believe, but we're still living in fear because we've locked ourselves in the upper room. We're not embracing the freedom that we have in Christ. We're not embracing the life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Where is that? Because he's dead. And now he shows up in the upper room. And now we're locked in and we're afraid to go outside for fear of what the Romans will do to us. And they're living in abject fear. Paul would later tell Timothy, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You ever stop and think about the idea that Easter is a time to stir up the gift? Stir up the understanding of faith. Stir up the reminder of what God has done for you. Stir up your need for a God to love you. And he goes on to say, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. When all you have is Friday, it can be certainly dark. And Friday is not a time to make major decisions. Friday is not a time for you to decide what you're going to do. Friday is a time to wait on God. But listen to me. Sometimes you get to the resurrection Sunday and you don't understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And so you're locking yourself in the upper room because of the fear that resides inside of you. Fear of letting go of hurt. Fear of letting go of root of bitterness. Fear of letting go of what you've understood for years and years and years. Fear of letting go of your, your religiosity, if you will. And so instead, even though we're post up from the grave he arose, he hasn't ascended into heaven yet. But are you still living in fear in the upper room, even in the presence of Jesus? Is that where your life is? This is not a time to let go. This is a time to say, I don't understand. How can this be? Nobody's done this before. Nobody's risen up from the grave he arose. Nobody's done that. Jesus has done it with some people. But our Lord, our God, our Savior, he said, if you kill me, go ahead. I will be in that grave for three days. And then I will be raised from the dead by my Father. And then he proved it by doing it because Easter is a time of hope. Easter was a time of anxiety. Easter was a time of fear, biblically. They weren't jumping up and down on Sunday singing like we are. They were living in fear, hiding. And I'm telling you right now, there are still Christian people today living in fear and hiding even though they claim Jesus. They don't understand what's going on, but they're embracing and trying to hide from all kinds of different things that are going on inside of their lives. And that's not the life, excuse me, that's not the life that God came to give us. Again in John 10, uh, 20, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked out of fear for the Jewish leaders, and I'm going to go on now, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
He doesn't want you to live in fear. He doesn't want you to experience Easter by hiding. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed that the Lord was with them again. And again, Jesus had to say, peace be with you as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And here was an opportunity for people to come into a different understanding of who Jesus was. He wasn't going to give them everything they wanted. He probably wasn't going to route the, the earthly political system that was going on. He was was trying to set up a new kingdom, but that kingdom starts inside of your heart. And that's what Jesus was after. The transformation of your heart. Seriously, 2,000 years ago, you want me to believe, time out, you want me to believe that 11 guys, let's just hang Judas out there where he was, really probably wasn't a believer and he did not interact post, you know, throwing that silver back to the Pharisees. You want me to believe that Jesus was crucified, bloodied, nailed to a cross, died according to the Romans, died, put in a grave, a borrowed tomb, rock rolled in front of it, and then three days later, on the morning of the fourth day, rose from the dead and lives today. That's what you want me to believe. You bet it is. Why isn't that something absolutely just made up by human beings to be a crutch for the masses, as one atheist would say, in days gone by? Whose grave is still full on this earth while Christ's is still empty on this earth? Think about it for a second. I love Chuck Colson's answer. Chuck Colson <coughs> is referred to as President Nixon's hatchet man. He was his special counsel. Those of you that weren't alive back then can look it up. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for Scripture. Chuck Colson was a man that was embraced uh, or that was, excuse me, heavily involved in something called Watergate, and he was the first one of that administration to actually go to prison. In the course of events, found Jesus, and it's amazing. But I love this testimony from Chuck Colson. It's not going to show up there. Just listen to it. He said, "I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me." I love this. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that same truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep the lie for three weeks. For three weeks. And you're telling me, this is him still talking, and you're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years amidst all of that torture. Absolutely impossible. Unless it were true. The cross is the heart of the mission. Paul says, speaking on behalf of the kingdom of heaven, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind, in your mind, in your mind, in your belief system, excuse me, because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, that's the death of Christ, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's God's plan. It looks like a bad plan. 
but it's God's plan. Maybe the Friday that you're experiencing is a setup for the Sunday that God wants you to have. Maybe you've gotten past Friday and you've entered Sunday by recognizing the gift that Jesus gave you and freeing us from our sins. See, a perfect man had to die for people because the Scripture says that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of man. Adam and Eve sinned. We have this seed inside of us. I had the joy of sharing that with an 11 or 12-year-old young man in my office this week. It just so happened God orchestrated amazingly that there was an apple in this church. And just like you and I, it actually happened to be a rotten apple. But when I cut that baby open, there were seeds inside. And those seeds are the same seeds that are sown inside of us because we come from Adam and Eve. We have a human nature that says, I want what I want when I want it and how I want it. It's all about me having my thing, doing my thing, and being my thing. That's what it's about. And that thing separates us from God. That selfishness, that rebellion separates us from God. Not that we're drones, not that we don't have opinions. God wants us to live a full life, but He wants us to do it His way so that we can live a full life. So that we can embrace a full life. And so Jesus had to come because God was waiting on a perfect man to die for Adam and Eve, and it would cover our sin as well. But it had to be a perfect man, and there wasn't one. And so in the person of Jesus Christ, God came down here amongst us so that you and I could be reunited to God in heaven. That was his plan all along. It was Jesus that said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not your will be done. Excuse me, not my will be done, but yours. And he endured that cross, scorning its shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, interceding on our behalf, not excusing our sin but reminding God that he paid for it on Calvary so that we could ask God's forgiveness, get back up and not have to earn our salvation. Maybe the Friday that you've been living is the setup for the Sunday that God wants to give you. Maybe it's time for you to stop living on Sunday locked in and afraid that God won't do what he promised to do for you. When you're living your life on Friday, it is really hard to breathe. It's hard to see past what's hanging right in front of you. Dreams are smashed, hope is gone, and fear rears its ugly head till you lock yourself in. But I believe that hope is knowing that God has a plan that I fit into. That I'm here because He wants me here. Psalm 139 every day. Hope is knowing that he's never been late and he didn't stay dead. So he is coming back. He will not stay gone. That's hope. Hope is knowing he will never leave me, never forsake me. Though I may have to walk through some tough things, he will hold my hand and go with me. And the goal is not to stay on this planet. Hope says I can bring the peace and justice and love and belonging to other people on behalf of the kingdom of God if I'll just get off my own throne and choose to do things God's way. Hope knows that God will do and accomplish exactly what he said he will so I can trust him because he's got a record that's 100% so far. 
That's Easter hope. That's Easter knowing. That's Easter living. That's embracing the resurrection from my own self, from my own death. That's what God wants for you. This morning as we enter into Easter and before we head off to Easter dinners, I wonder if you have that kind of Easter hope in the midst of wondering why things have gone crash in your life or what it is. Maybe it's not crash. Maybe it's like, God, what are you doing in my life? It's not making sense to me right now. These people are up here because we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. Maybe you're here and and it's Easter and you don't come to church, but hey, it's Easter and you're supposed to and you're here and God is speaking to your heart and it's time for you to reconnect with God. These people just want to pray with you. Maybe you're Thomas and you weren't in the upper room when Jesus showed up and you're like, eh, not buying it yet, Pastor Joe. That's okay. Walk with us. We're going to go into a series called God, What We Believe. Walk with us. God wants to do something in your life today. And these people just want to pray with you. We're going to go into this closing song. Leave that there. We're going to go into this closing song. And while we're singing this closing song, you can come up here. And these people want to pray with you for whatever it is. Whatever it is.